Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today on Housing Wire Daily, I'm joined by lead analyst Logamoto Shami to talk about foreclosure data and whether we'll see a soft landing for housing in this recession. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah, still in uh, Mallorca, Spain, but we're uh, still ready to go for another podcast. Okay, I am still in Wichita, Kansas, so I don't know how that happened, but let's, you know, <laughs> Mallorca, Spain sounds uh, much more exotic and wonderful. So thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. So we've got a lot to talk about. One of the things I really want to hit is that um, foreclosure data, right? So we had, uh, it was one of the biggest things you had, uh, forbearance crash bros, which are, is related to like, if people went into forbearance, would they then end up, w- would it be like this wave of foreclosures coming uh, from people who couldn't pay their mortgages? And so um, I really want to get into that because we're seeing that more and more that like, oh, we're seeing this uptick in, in foreclosures and it's going to be like this wave. So give us some reality on foreclosures. Yeah, you know, one of the lines that is being presented on YouTube and Twitter and other other social media outlets is foreclosures are up 700% year over year, trying to make it uh, like it seemed that there's a foreclosure crisis. And of course, all economic data, especially housing data, when you're working from such an extreme low, the percentages are very misleading. Uh, it's kind of like the inventory data, you know, you know, some like Las Vegas was up 144% year over year in inventory. And it's really just getting back to kind of 2019 levels. Uh, so context is always key. But I think so much of the incorrect housing takes over the last 10 years has always been this notion that people just traditionally in mass are going to foreclose because of X or Y or, or any kind of variable. Usually what traditionally happens uh, in in housing is what we call late cycle lending, where the people with the lowest down payments with the uh, or, or, or have the worst financial credentials, really, uh, when they got the loan, mean low FICO scores, not a lot of reserves. If they lost their jobs in the upcoming recession, they're technically in a, in a uh, uh, foreclosure watch because they don't have a lot of selling equity especially if it's in a downtrending uh, housing market. Here, it's not even the case. Of course, even this year, uh, prices are still rising year over year. Um, the credit profiles, the New York Fed gives these updated quarterly uh, uh, data lines on on how the consumer looks like. And, and as always, the forbearance crash bros premise in the summer of 2020 was that the people that are not versed or don't have any education or training are the ones talking about a forbearance foreclosure crash. Uh, and you can see this by how they talk about things that naturally people will foreclose. But uh, when you look at the financials of homeowners, boy, the the cash flows are really good. You know, the FICO scores all across the board is so much different now than what we had uh, during the run up to the uh, housing bubble peak. But the most important thing is that, uh, and, and I've always tried to stress, stress this over the last six or seven years, we do not have any exotic loan debt structures in the system post-2010, which means we don't have loans that can like, be a ticking time bomb, like a recast. In a sense, you could have a 780 FICO score, two people working. But when the loan recasts itself, 
uh, the payment is such a shock that uh, you, you, you won't be able to uh, make the payments. You are going to either foreclose or short sale or even be a forced seller if you have any kind of equity. 100% financing, things like this are, are after 2010 do not exist. So what has happened is that people have stayed in their homes longer and longer. So during that duration and time, their finances just got better and better. And then on top of all that, the nested equity position is the best ever recorded in U.S. history. So when we're when you're going to see these foreclosure percentage headlines, I see it all the time. You know, especially in the last two months, you'll see more of it come out in the next probably year. Uh, keep it in context that 30-day delinquencies are at all-time lows. So the real trend data is actually very positive in terms of a mortgage credit stress. The foreclosure reopening process are you know, like vacant homes that were in the foreclosure process in 2018 that are coming onto the market. They're not, they're not a lot in, in total numbers, but uh, uh, the foreclosure data itself should trend back to what we, what we saw pre-COVID. But the consumer, the, the household or homeowner consumer got in much better shape. And we're also talking about the $2 trillion in plus in as savings. Uh, uh, usually it's in the hands of uh, homeowners. Uh, as well. And then on top of everything, a lot of people refinanced in 2020 and 2021. And then the nested equity positions or equity rose. So it is as clean as you can possibly get in the history of the United States of America going into this. Uh, uh, so we have to be a little bit more more attentive and, and not so gullible to these YouTubers or these Twitter people that have constantly for 10 years I've talked about, you know, massive foreclosures, people losing their homes, almost in a sense, cheerleading, something like this. Uh, but it, it, we have nothing of stress. And when I talk about stresses, you know, in 2005, 2006, 2007 and 2008, before the job loss recession happened, uh, we saw people filing for foreclosures, bankruptcies increasing every single year with exotic loan debt structures, with loans that were ticking time bombs. Not the case for the last 10 years and the last two and a half years, the balance sheets even got better. So we go back to traditional cycle watching. We wait to see when the job loss recession is, uh, always knowing that the people that have renter financial profiles are the ones who tend to have the highest unemployment rates. Uh, and we have no kind of exotic loan debt structures. And this is one of the reasons why the forbearance crash froze. Uh, with so bad. They just naturally assumed Americans would want to foreclose on their house, even though they have nested equity. I still, to this day, have never understood that premise, but they went with it. Uh, so much different backdrop. And once we have actually a job loss recession, we'll take the conversation into another direction, but we're not there yet. Okay. I want to, uh, my next question is going to be about the job loss recession, but just to follow up on this, it's not just that consumers have a lot of choices. It's also that, you know, it's not like any lender is like, wow, I just can't wait to foreclose. In a, in a judicial state, it's going to take you like five years to foreclose on someone. Like, I think everybody has the incentive not to do that. There will always be situations where that has to happen. But it's not like you have lenders going, wow, I just can't wait to foreclose on these people. You know, it's what, one of the things I'm trying to direct people toward when there is a job loss recession, don't think of foreclosures as your first avenue. Think of forced credit sellers, where it means the credit payment, somebody lost their job, uh, they can't make the payments, they don't have a lot of excess reserves, but they have a lot of equity on their house. 
So they would just sell the house to have some uh, liquidity. That actually happened during uh, uh, when the housing recovery happened. There were people who were in forbearance that actually just sold their homes and they were completely fine. They didn't foreclose. Think of that first because the I cannot stress how the nested equity position of homeowners are just so much. And I'm, when I talk about nested equity, it means the, the equity on top of the mortgage uh, debt balance. Uh, the, the loan to values are really, really good for all these homeowners that have lived in their homes for so long. And also their their mortgage payment as a percentage of disposable incomes are at all-time lows. So there's all these other variable factors. Even if, let's say, someone did lose their job and they didn't have enough financial assets, uh, they were going to run down their savings, uh, they can sell their property uh, in, in that context. The foreclosure would be like you know minimum. You start to get like a nine-month process before you actually go into uh, uh, something more substantial. So uh, you're starting to run the clock out in 2023, even as the closer we get to uh, uh, New Year's Day. So uh, think differently. Don't think 2008. With this whole 2008 syndrome is has ruined so many people for a decade now because they assume that we're going to see some kind of massive distress debt on debt transfer payments where we had these cash out loans. And still to this day, not a lot of people know this. The people that cashed out on their homes were actually a higher percentage of loan losses than purchase loans. Uh, not a lot of people know this still, but um, the serial refinancers on exotic loan debt structures had higher defaults. Uh, it's it's something, after you, I, something I used to talk about in 2013 and 14 a lot, but now you know, we don't even have that. The people that cashed out on their homes, none of those loans are exotic loan debts. Their, their finances look even better. So much different backdrop. But when we get to a job loss recession, we'll have a different conversation. But it, it's not going to be the kind of the run up from 2005 to 2008. And I also like to remind people that the 2005 bankruptcy laws, the, the bankruptcy reform laws, created another layer of better credit quality consumers as well. So it wasn't just the 2010 qualified mortgage, but it's also the 2005 uh, bankruptcy reform laws. This is why consumer credit profiles look good in, in terms of homeowners. Homeowners have a, a lot. Homeowners tend to make a lot more money than renters, but they also have the fixed payment uh, uh, reality and they've been living in their homes longer. So they're pretty much settled in into having a, a good financials. So you keep saying when we have the job loss recession, not if we have a job loss recession. So, I mean, it, I guess I want to. I just want to explore that. Is that a, a for certain? Is that a certainty? Not something that might happen. And is that going to happen anytime soon? So we were not in a recession in the first half of 2022. Uh, a lot of people read the weakness of the GDP data and believe that two negative quarters of GDP is actually recession when consumption was positive, industrial production was positive. We created like 3.7 million jobs so far this year. That is not recessionary data. I'm just, I'm sorry to say that. You go back to post-World War II, that's not how it works. It's never worked that way since the Peloponnesian War. Um, but, but the six recession red flags are up. And you know, economic cycles come and go. The economic data has been getting weaker. Uh, housing is in a recession. And when I mean housing is in a recession, total economic activity in the housing market has dropped off. So we start with the new, we start with the builders. Monthly supply is up. The builders are going to 
pull back on construction. They're going to spend all their time making sure they could sell what properties they have when they're ready. Uh, the transfer of commission, what we have in the existing home sales market is existing home sales have fallen. So people are making less money in the industry, uh, real estate agents, loan officers, uh, moving trucks, you know, to uh, those. So that that is total economic activity in the housing sector is in a recession in, in that sense. Uh, we see job losses uh, in the mortgage industry, in the real estate industry. We see job losses in some tech firms, some uh, durable goods, you know, the Pelotons, or I've always used that as an example. But as a national uh, economy, uh, still creating jobs, the sixth recession red flag, especially with the leading economic index, does not have a good history of reversals when it, when it starts to fall four to six months down after all the flags are up. Uh, but the one the one caveat that I've I put in, you know, when I wrote that article for Housing Wire is that we're dealing with such violent data to the upside and to the downside. Uh, the bullwhip effect of global pandemics and massive rebounds in spending and decrease in it. We're trying to find some kind of norm here. So if you wanted to, in theory, what we call is a soft landing. A soft landing means that you don't have a big recession. You might have a real um, mild slowdown, uh, maybe a very tiny uh, job loss recession, something like we have in, after the tech bubble burst. Um, you know, the growth rate of inflation would have to fall down and mortgage rates have to fall down. Bond yields have to fall down and the Fed has to stop hiking and then cutting. That is how you get what we call a, a soft landing. So we're not going to have that conversation yet because we only had one mild inflation print. Even though the 10-year yield is below 3%, it's still uh, high enough to where housing activity might have won't be able to rebound fast. Uh, if we get mortgage rates below 5% or especially even toward 4%, that might be a different story. Uh, so we're not at a national recession yet, but this is where I would be more mindful on recession watch. This is why the sixth recession red flag was created to show people historical uh, uh, commonalities, what happens in every economic expansion and recession. And here we are with the sixth recession red flags. Did not have it before COVID. Only three were up. Uh, before COVID hit us. But if you go back in the history of every economic expansion and recession, you see these traditional data lines start to get weaker, and we have. So we'll take it one day, one week, one month at a time, but with a little bit more of a closer eye than you know I've had to deal with. Actually, when I first uh, started writing about uh, 12 years ago, it's, it's, it's a different portion of the economic expansion at this stage. And we saw the housing negative impact in the last GDP report where housing as a contributor to GDP already got weak and it's just going to get weaker uh, as the builders are just going to pull back from construction and just focus on selling their products as, uh, with the least amount of hit to their profits uh, in the upcoming months. Okay. Um, and that was a lot of really good information, but if you could distill it down into like job loss recession coming, yes or no? Not yet. And when you, when you see a job loss recession, one, one thing will happen. Uh, jobless claims will break, break, I mean, break higher, uh, uh, over, well over uh, 300,000. Uh, that's the history of U.S. economics job. You typically have a job loss recession when jobless claims are uh, well above 300,000. We're still actually under 300,000. So we're not there yet. Once jobless claims break, 
the cycle's over. Uh, it, it's not one of these data lines that just has kind of a mild uh, increase and falls right back down. Traditionally, unemployment rates will go up half a percent or, 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 or 75 basis points higher from the low. So we're working at three and a half percent. So unemployment rates would have to probably be, be above four percent to where we actually start seeing massive job loss or recession. So we're heading toward a direction to where we could go there. But as long as jobless claims, in fact, this is the once we're in this stage, jobless claims becomes the primary factor post the sixth recession red flag. So we had a, a little mild increase, uh, but continuing claims uh, is very stable still. So usually you'll see jobless claims and continuing claims spike up together. We're not there yet. And that's a weekly data that we were able to track. So we're not, we're, we're, once, once that breaks, it, it's on. And you start to see other economic data really start to get weaker too. Uh, uh, industrial production starts to fall, consumption, uh, retail sales starts to get weaker, stuff like that. Durable goods spending really starts to get weaker. Manufacturing is in a recession. Some of those things are, are happening, getting weaker, but we're not at the point to where millions of people are going to lose jobs in that sense. And I also like to emphasize that we're in a much different type of labor market than we were uh, uh, in 2008. The job openings back then were about 2 million. Uh, job openings today are still over uh, 10 million. The baby boomers are leaving the workforce. Employers are a little bit more mindful. Uh, productivity hasn't really picked up in a meaningful way. So people need labor. So when layoffs do occur, there's also going to be a mindset that, boy, if we lose people, I don't really want to fight to get them back uh, in, in an aggressive way. I think employers understand this. And this is part of a, an aging society, right? Uh, population growth has been slowing here in America. Uh, immigration hasn't, hasn't been booming here. So there's parts of the United States of America that have very low unemployment because they lack prime age labor force growth. So as elderly people retire or leave the workforce, whatever younger person they have in just basically replaces them. And if they need more labor, they need more people. So a much different labor backdrop. Uh, but we are at the stage to where we focus on jobless claims and continuing claims uh, as a primary economic data line to track now, because since the six recession, red flags are up now. I really appreciate that deep dive. That was super helpful and and uh, lots of really good information on the job loss recession that may or may not be coming and, and what to look for for that. When you talk about a soft landing, what do you feel like uh, with the inflation data? Because you've talked about, hey, this is how this could reverse or this is how we could have a soft landing. This is what could make the Fed stop hiking rates. Um, how likely do you think that is? Just my observation of Fed members uh, and knowing how they have spoken before, I think the Fed is doing a lot of jawboning. Um, some of the more dovish Fed people are really like getting on the media circuit and, hey, we're, we're serious, we're serious, we're serious, we're going to hike, we're going to hike. I think they're just waiting for a few months of the growth rate, remember, inflation is always rising. It's never really deflationary. It's just the growth rate is, is still way too high for them. Uh, um, so they want to see a little bit more downside before they start. Okay, we're, we're going from 75 to 50, 50 to a quarter. Okay, we're done. And then if economic data starts to get weaker, they go, okay, we feel like we need to cut now. So we're in this area where we just had one print that has shown the growth rate has fallen. 
Uh, we've seen that in other inflationary data that's coming around. Um, historically, this tends to be the case. Uh, the growth rate of inflation falls, bond yields fall, mortgage rates fall. Uh, again, the in, invasion of Ru Russia invading Ukraine, some of the supply issues with energy, you see the problems that the Europeans have with that. Uh, that's something the Fed can't really fix with the rate hikes. Uh, so I think they're a little bit uncomfortable with that discussion. Uh, I know they get they get that asked a lot, but rate hikes don't really uh, help with uh, supplies of, of energy. So, uh, boy, if we could just get four or five growth rate falling on inflation, I think the Fed will be less hawkish. But they want to be right here, and I think the, one of the last things they they did not want to see is recently bond yields fell, mortgage rates fell, which is really interesting because now that now that we've seen now that we have a, a you know a good seven months of data, mortgage rates getting towards six percent was problematic for the housing market. Uh, it really it really put the new home sales sector into a recession. Uh, existing home buyers balked. Really, some can't qualify, and some just said, "Hey, listen, I'm I at this I'm not not comfortable buying." A house with this payment. Uh, so we have a we have a marker, kind of that five point seven five to six and a quarter level. That's where housing really got hit. Now some of this is the speed, right? Uh, in a perfect world, you don't have rates go from three percent to six percent that fast. The velocity, you know, uh, I mean, the Fed kind of freaked out when mortgage rates went from three and a half to four and a half percent back in twenty thirteen. And that caused, you know, the housing market to slow down. Here, it's much different. You have, you know, three to six on top of all the home price growth. So uh, the Fed is, quote unquote, what we call the housing reset, where they want to see housing cool down. Uh, so they're not focused on the housing market, let's say, as much as inflation. So inflation has to come down noticeably for a few months. Uh, and we'll see what I mean, so much of our mood as a country really moves around energy prices and gasoline prices. So we'll see how that goes out in the future. But we have to be mindful that supply disruptions, especially in energy, and we still have so many people working and driving and, and, and energy demand is there. Uh, you're, you really need to see like a traditional commodities bust. And usually a strong dollar would would help the Fed right now and world growth would be weak and energy prices would fall. But that, that's not happening like it did in 2015 and 16. So uh, growth rate of inflation falling, bond yields falling, mortgage rates falling, uh, the Fed stopping hiking, even cutting, those things can get you a soft landing. We're not, we just started one print that was positive and we saw that things got a little bit more stable when mortgage rates went down a, one and a quarter percent. So we have some data lines, some percentage numbers to work with here now. After this, I mean, this is a historic year in terms of what happened with mortgage rates. I mean, that is not normal. I and mean, even last week, we we're having like half a percent moves up and down. Could you imagine like trying to price someone out or trying to like, oh, a half a percent up higher, half a percent? No, see, that's that's too that's too too much violence in the in the economic system. You can't have things go up and down like that. You need a little bit more stability uh, to be stable. So, at some point in the future, a lot of this drama in will start to get in a normal marketplace. We're kind of at the point where I think the Fed is. They don't want the stock market rally. They don't want mortgage rates to go down. They want 
inflation or cool down and they feel that you know the stock market and housing needs to needs to suffer for the growth rate of inflation to to come down so it is what it is uh, I think they were very um, I'm not gonna say they weren't they weren't happy with mortgage rates falling they weren't happy with the stock market rising but there's limits to what all men and women could do in a natural world economy. So uh, you don't get what you want all the time. So bond yields have come up a little bit uh, in the last few days from like, you know, 250 to about a little bit, uh, almost to 290. So we'll see how the rest of the year plays out. But we have now a good a good percentage to work with where the market really slowed down. And that was kind of in that 5.75, six and a quarter range. So speaking of last week, I mean, you know, we're talking about different. I mean, if you if you chart what happened with the interest rates, even within the two a two day period, I don't even know how people kept up. And and to your point, we're doing effective pricing that was just crazy. And I think we're going to look back at that time and be like, this, even that last week, like those three days last week, were crazy. You know, I, I mean, I, I mean, before I retired from the mortgage industry, I remember times where we have half a percent moves in in one day, but that's just one direction of a week, we had literally like four days where we're up half a percent, down half a percent, up half a percent, down half, you know, uh, that's, that's not normal. You know, that's just, that's not a, that, that is a chaotic marketplace. Um, that's a market, not sure where it wants to go. And what's happened is, you know, QE quantitative easing has ended a while, while ago. And a lot of people thought, well, mortgage rates have to go to eight to nine or ten percent. The bond market is Fed's not buying trade. Well, listen, our debt is very popular around the world still. So this is one of the reasons why our bond yields are still, still, I might add, under three percent. I think those who know me on Twitter know I have a meme where I go, we survived the three percent tenure because for some reason, men on Twitter get petrified when the tenure yield hits three percent. It's like it's like a volcano just erupted next next to the house. They're just they're they're something, and 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 we we have to confront these people and and con, you know tell them it's okay. We're below three percent. We, we're all here. We're all alive. You don't need to panic so much. Um, so uh, again, we're 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 in August. It's twenty twenty two. We just we just had one of the hottest inflation prints ever, and, and it's come down, and still the ten year yield is below three percent without the Fed QE. In, in play. So the bond market to me runs the show. Uh, uh, and uh, we're, we're, in a very, we're in a very interesting spot with not only just the housing data, but the economic data at this point. Because I think everyone is, everyone is under one cap that the economic data is going to get weaker. And because of that, inflation should, growth rates should fall, bond yields should fall, and mortgage rates should fall. Um, so everyone's kind of on that path. No one's on the the economy is going to stay firm, uh, uh, and uh, uh, inflation will be more sticky than than what we normally see. So I think if there's one, if there is a group that's not being represented, is the the U.S. economy will stay firm, and it's going to be harder and harder for bond yields to really go down or mortgage rates to go down. But again, that's that, uh, I, that's not a very big camp uh, right now. Uh, in that group. For me, again, it's no recession, but we're on recession watch. And there's other specific data lines that we follow at this stage. Jobless claims is one of them. 
um, industrial production, manufacturing data, uh, try to find out what sectors are laying off people. Uh, as of right now, jobless claims being under 300,000, you're still okay, uh, especially on a historical sense. You know, this economic um, outlook, it's understanding the larger picture, how that uh, will affect housing is super important. And that's why we are doing a housing market super session at our Housing Wire annual um, event, which is on October 3rd through 5th. It's in person. It's in Scottsdale, Arizona, and you are going to be a featured speaker on that session. Yes, and I think you know uh, Selma from CoreLogic will be there, and she's going to uh, uh, give the vast knowledge of what CoreLogic has uh, 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 on their data set. Matthew Graham from uh, uh, Mortgage Life, he's great in the sense of looking at you know how the mortgage market is going, and, and talk about how violent things have been. Uh, uh, not just for the ten-year yield, but just mortgage rate pricing uh, in this environment. Uh, it's it's you know if we were if we were in 2018 right now, you know rates would be under five percent. If we were in 2013 pricing or to, you know 2014 pricing even, uh, mortgage rates would be uh, uh, under four and a half percent. Uh, their things are different now uh, than they were in the past. So, uh, you know, the, with the ten-year yield and mortgage rate pricing, it's 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 gonna get, it's just gonna get crazy. And we, I mean, I I cannot stress. I've never seen a time where we had four straight days where rates basically moved up half a percent, up and down, up and down, up and down. Uh, that's just not not. I mean, usually maybe one eighth of a day, maybe something like that. But to have that kind of violent move, you could see that the market is just not certain. And when it's not certain, it makes these really aggressive moves one way or another, because uh, it's not it's not sure of itself. And uh, usually that comes really at an inflection point. Uh, and we could we could all see it. Everyone's kind of waiting to see the economic data get worse and then mortgage rates fall and bond yields fall and, and the Fed finally goes, OK, we, we give up. We're pivoting. Uh, it hasn't happened yet, but uh, We've had one noticeable down move in mortgage rates and bond yield. So uh, just this very interesting. I think anybody who tracks economic data, you just have to realize, wow, this is such a historical time right now, trying to capture everything and all the different variables we have, not just here home in America, but uh, around the world. Yeah, I also wanted to mention Lisa Sturdivant, the chief economist of Bright MLS, will be on that panel. But yes, I mean, this is why it's important. And when people come to that, um, to our Housing Wire annual, they will have a ton of other great um, information they're going to get. We have not only great content, but uh, a lot of time to really do connection. We've really changed the format a bit to have both of those things. And and they can connect with you. They can uh, ask you questions in person. There's a, a Q&A at the end of that session. And then you'll be available at different times through the conference uh, to talk to people. So I know that uh, know that you've got lots of fans there. Yeah. And I, and I, I always say the best conversations I've always had are at these events uh, after speaking because people have specific questions. You know me, I could talk forever and answer anything you <laughs> said. So I really go into the gory details of what this is and that is. And again, you know, the marketplace is a marketplace. There's so many different different views and takes on it. I think it's it's healthy for anyone to take a bunch of different views and try to, you know, put them all together and, and think what you what you want from them. Uh, but as always, if economics is done right, it should be terribly boring. I'm trying to make it as entertaining as possible. 
No, oh, and <laughs> yes, and you do. And thank you for mentioning the Peloponnesian War because on my Logan Motoshami podcast bingo card, I have to I have to check off the Peloponnesian War now. So so I appreciate that. That's always uh, something that we look forward to. How you're going to work that? In. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, no, really, uh, for real, Logan. Thank you so much for being on and helping us to understand what's going on. Uh, pleasure to be here, and, and always remember uh, credit, stress, data will get weaker first before you have any kind of mass foreclosure crisis. Uh, uh, we saw that in 2005, six, seven, and eight before the job loss recession. We don't have any of that now because of the debt structures. Uh, I gave a little, and, and, and for anybody that has a Twitter account, uh, uh, I, I do these charts on Twitter that actually show it in more detail. Uh, credit stress just doesn't pop out of nowhere uh, when it's a consumer. You need an event or you need a, a, a period of time to where you see the stress. Uh, and we saw that before the job loss recession happened in the 2008 Great Financial. We, we're not anywhere close to that period in time. But if it happens, the data will guide you there, right? Mother economics, is a, she is a serial killer. She wants to be caught. She'll leave you crumbs. You'll catch her. Trust me. Uh, and, and, and she'll leave you a lot of crumbs. Well, great. Well, thank you for, for, uh, being, let's see, I'm going to add to the, uh, bingo card for being always the detective and not the troll, right? Never the troll. <laughs> so thanks so much, Logan. We will talk to you soon. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW+, membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.